Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Who is ready for a red hot word from Pastor Jonathan? I'm ready. Let's stand, honour the Word of God and welcome Him as He comes. Thank you, Di. No pressure. Red hot. All right. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you today for all that you have done for each and every one of us. Lord, as we celebrate this weekend, July 4th, a declaration of independence from, from oppression and tyranny. And today, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to set us free from oppression and tyranny so that we might know your love and your grace. I pray, Lord, that for each and every one of us today, the reality of your presence would be so real and that each one of us would be uplifted in our hearts and in our spirits as we go out of this place, that we may go full of faith, full of hope. May we be a light in our world and may we, Lord, be the salt of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Let's give our worship team a hand. Thank you uh, to our great worship team. So yeah, as Di said, I was in England for eight days. England was uh, very um, predictable as usual in its weather. Uh, four seasons in one day. And uh, it was, but it was a lot of fun. I was able to visit a Spent some time with some friends. I uh, met with a friend who I hadn't seen for 50 years. And I went back to visit another friend, the place, where, uh, the place that I visited where they were holding a special event, motor racing event, which was hosted by a friend that I went to school with. I hadn't been there in that place for 50 years as well. So it was pretty awesome to be able to go back and uh, to be able to spend some time with them. And just appreciate the fact of the longevity of friendships that one can have, that you can have friends that you may not see for many, many years, but you can maintain that, that friendship. And so it was very, very special, was able to spend some time, first time in, I think in over 10 years that I had got together with my brother and two sisters in the Cotswolds. Uh, so it was a fun time, it was great, really enjoyed uh, the time away. Um, it, it was, I won't say it was refreshing, it was very tiring actually, because we were on the go. But it was refreshing in that I was able to uh, enjoy that time away. So, uh, good to be home. I heard Jan Carlos did a great job last week with his message. Um, and uh, so, it's good to be, good to be here. A um, couple of things I want to share before we... We continue, of course, uh, Di has already talked about the 4th of July, and yes, she is working on me to get my American citizenship. Uh, every time I come through immigration at Los Angeles Airport, I think I've got to be a, become an American citizen. Um, but I am already a, a, a British citizen. I'm an Australian citizen. I had, I don't know if I can renew it, a, a Hong Kong citizen's card, uh, so I'm part Chinese. And so, and I could also get a Spanish passport, I believe, as well. But the U American passport is on the cards, so I will. 
But I, I love this country. I love uh, the opportunity that we have to live in a, in a nation where people have come from all over the world uh, for many, many generations and has been a safe haven uh, for many people. And uh, I am so thankful uh, to live in this nation. It is the 4th of July tomorrow, and I do have to confess, I, I grew up in England, uh, and I believe that tomorrow is a day when we celebrate the shaking off of the shackle and yoke of the oppressive tyranny of the, the British peoples. Um, so I will, try to, uh, I will try to kind of maintain impartiality in my message. Um, but, um, but before I do that, just a couple of things I want to highlight. I think everybody knows that our time in this building is drawing to a close. We've been here seven years. Uh, how fast that seven years has gone. And uh, we're going to be relocating. There's a... Um, a uh, uh, have we talked about where we're going? Does anyone know where we're going? Do we know where we're going, Michael? Uh, we're going to a movie theater uh, that's down in Fashion Island. We started in a, in a nightclub. We moved to a... Uh, we moved to a movie theater, the Lido. Uh, then we went to a high to a school, and uh, now in a in a warehouse, back to a movie theater ag again. As we transition and as we take steps towards finding a, another permanent location, so a couple of things that I want to highlight in the coming weeks. Um, we're going to have a few working bees in the church, so if you can help in some way or another. Uh, over on a Saturday. We're going to let people know those dates. Uh, that would be great. Of course, we've got a lot that we need to move, and uh, we're going to be working on that transition. And Michael and Polly Elman have been doing an amazing job putting the team together uh, for that to happen. And uh, so that over the next few weeks, I think the last weekend in, in, in uh, August will be our last service in this building. So let's make that a good one. Put that in your diaries, and, uh, and, and then we'll be moving the following weekend. Um, the other thing is that next, on the 16th of um, July, it is our 16th birthday. Uh, so 16th of July, 16th birthday, I understand that's our golden birthday, is that, is that correct? Um, and we started the church, first service at... Josh Locums, 2601 PCH, on the 16th of July, uh, 2006. So we're celebrating our, our 16th birthday, and we're going to have a baptismal service um, at uh, Pirates Cove down near Corona del Mar, next to Corona del Mar, on that Saturday. So if you want to get baptized, what a great uh, weekend to do that. Um, let us know. We'd love you to... We'd love you to join us and to be a part of that. So today, my message is, in, is entitled, Fight the Good Fight. Fight the Good Fight. Of course, today uh, we are remembering that the, independ the independence that this nation secured... Um, four to five years after the Declaration of Independence, came after a long struggle and fight against the British. The 
war that took place where many people gave their lives, many people lost their lives, was a hard-fought battle to gain independence. And last year I had the, I love history, if you haven't yet noticed, but last year I had the opportunity to go to the field in Yorktown where the British surrendered to the Americans. And it was just an amazing place to visit because I thought it was such a significant moment that after all those years of struggle, after all those years of fighting, there was a moment where the British surrendered and the war was over. The Americas were free from the British rule. And so all of the, uh, all of the various colonies, and they were called colonies in those days, 13 colonies would no longer be subject to the British and to George III. And it was an amazing, it was an amazing place. And I will never forget being there and, and, and just kind of soaking up the atmosphere of that place and imagining what would have happened all those years before and many battles that took place around there. But I think all of us would be aware that anything that is worth anything has to be fought for. I think all of us would like life to be all hay and sunshine, to be a bed of roses, but we know that that anything that is worth, worth anything is worth fighting for. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, writes these words. And I want to um, read these this morning because they're the foundation and basis of the message that I want to bring today. Paul says to his son in the faith, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight. I want you to think about that for a moment. He's telling his son, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. What an amazing, amazing exhortation that Paul gives to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says to him, fight the good fight. There is nothing passive in this statement. I think if one of the things that that as human beings we have to resist more than anything in an environment and in a world where it is increasingly easy to be passive is to become passive in our faith, to become passive in any aspect of our, uh, of our life. And Paul, there's nothing passive about what Paul says. Paul says, fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. I urge you uh, to do these things. And, and so uh, we, 
we have to understand that in life, right across the spectrum of life, if we're going to lay hold of everything that God has for us, if we're going to lay hold of opportunity, if we're going to fulfill our potential as human beings, if we're going to fulfill our destiny, there will be a fight. And it's interesting that in John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about how he is the good shepherd and the purpose for his coming, we read in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus was telling us why he came, but he also told us that we have a spiritual enemy. And that spiritual enemy will do everything he can to to rob, to kill, and to destroy, and prevent us from laying hold of everything that Jesus made possible through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Remember, a couple of weeks back, I talked about how Jesus said uh, how he would build the church. And he talked about how the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so we have within that statement an understanding that Jesus said he would build his church, but there's going to be a fight. There's going to be an enemy that's going to oppose us. There's a battle that we're involved in. And every one of us needs to understand that we have to fight to lay hold of all that God has made possible for us. So here's a, just a couple of thoughts and a couple of quotes um, that, uh, that I think are powerful uh, illustrations of this. How many of you know that we have to fight for truth? We have to fight for the values, the absolutes, the morals that, that give us, or the values that give us a moral compass in our world. We are right now probably in a time when more than ever in recent history, we have to fight for those values. And this is what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, at all times, day by day, we have to continue fighting for freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom from want. For all these things must be gained in peace as well as in war. There's a fight that we're involved in. We need to fight the good fight. Um, we have to fight our enemies who are determined to destroy us. It's interesting that when I was in the UK, at uh, the, the, the estate that I was on had an airfield which was used by Spitfires in the Battle of Britain. And the Battle of Britain literally took place over uh, that airfield and in, the, in the, that vicinity. And some of you will be familiar with Winston Churchill's great quote when uh, the United States, or the UK rather, England was being invaded by the Germans before the Americans joined the war. And uh, by the way, most people don't know that Winston Churchill's mother was an American. So he was half American, half British. And he said, we shall defend our... I'm not going to do the, the, the accent. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches... We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. 
Every one of us has to fight to be who God created us to be. Have you ever felt any pressure to conform to what other people's expectations of you are? Have you ever felt like you, 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 you want to be, uh, uh, there's a pressure that, is, that all of us face? And E. Cummings said this, he said, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. To be the person who God created you to be requires a fight. Because when we look at everybody else, we look at how much better they are at doing what we do and we want to emulate what they do or we want to be like them or we want to look like them or we want to sound like them or we want to... So easy for me to look at what other people are doing who, who speak in church or in church life and for me to, to, to look at them and think, well, maybe if I was like that, I, I could improve, become a better me. No, we all have to fight to be the person and feel comfortable in our own skins and to be the person who God created us to be. And that requires a fight. And E. Cummings, I think, puts that so well in that quote. We have to fight to conquer self. Pause. See, la. Think about that. We have to fight to conquer self. How many? How many of you find that your self is very demanding, and that its appetite is never quenched, and that it is incessant in its demands? And Thomas Akempi, who was a writer back many centuries ago, a Christian uh, author and writer and philosopher said, who has a harder fight than he who is striving to overcome himself? And so we have that battle. Paul talks about the struggle between the things that I want to do and the things that I, 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 the things I should do and the things I don't do. Um, if we're living for anything, we're going to have to fight for it. George Patton said, better to fight for something than to live for nothing. Um, and Vince Lombardi, who was one of the great football coaches or greatest football coaches of all time, said, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. Just some thoughts from people of different spheres of life about the fight that we're all engaged in. And I love this quote by C.T. Studd. Many of you will not know who C.T. Studd was. C.T. Studd uh, was a very came from a very, very wealthy family in, in England. He played cricket, which is the game they play in heaven. He played cricket for, for England, uh, was very successful, was very wealthy, and had a powerful conversion. And he gave, he gave everything away. He gave his whole state away. He gave away his position on the English cricket team, and he went as a missionary to Africa and spent his whole life as a missionary in Africa, and he said, I would rather run uh, a rescue shop within a yard of hell than live safely in the sound of church and chapel bell. And he went 
to Africa and pioneered at the same, uh, was one of the pioneers of, of, of the gospel in Africa. And he wrote this. He said, I pray that when I die, all of hell will rejoice that I am no longer in the fight. I love that. I pray that the day that I die, all of hell will rejoice that I am no longer in the fight. Well, for hell to rejoice that we're no longer in the fight, we need to fight the good fight of faith. And so here are five things quickly that I believe that we need to fight for. The first of these is we need to fight for our faith. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. How many of you know that not all fights are good? If you're a parent, you probably had to break up fights between your kids. Uh, there's all sorts of fights that are going on. There's all sorts of stuff that's going on in the media and on social media and all sorts of fights that are taken. Not all fights are good. But Paul is saying this is the good fight. The good fight is the fight of faith. And he knew that our faith was something that we had to fight for, not just to keep our faith, but to advance God's purpose. If we're going to advance God's purpose, we're going to be engaged in a battle. And throughout his writings, the Apostle Paul consistently referred to the battle that we're in. In, the, in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians, remember he said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're involved in a spiritual battle. He goes on to say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but they are spiritual, even to the pulling down of strongholds. In the book of Ephesians, he says, put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. Uh, uh, he, he talks about the armor of God to Timothy. He writes in, earlier in his letter to Timothy, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. So throughout his, his writings, he talks about this idea or this concept that as believers, we are involved in a battle, a spiritual battle. But I think everyone, we understand that it's not just in, in our spiritual life, but in every life. If we want to achieve our goals, if we want to fulfill our potential, we're always going to be involved in that struggle. And Paul encourages Timothy, don't be passive in your faith. If the enemy, if there's one thing the enemy wants to do, he wants to dumb down the expression of our faith. He wants to make us passive in our faith. What does it mean to be active in our faith? What does it mean to be engaged in the fight? Well, I want to read you a letter that was written to a um, wealthy um, citizen of the second century whose name was Diognetus. And it's a long letter, but I, I want to encourage you to listen to this because this is a description. Diognetus wanted to know 
uh, get a definition of who Christians are. I want you to pause for a moment and think. If I was to ask you, define what it means to be a Christian. Well, this is a second century definition of what it meant to be a Christian to someone who was not a Christian. It's very powerful, and it's a long letter, but I want to encourage you, it's going up on the screens, to listen to it with an open heart. This is where it begins. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own, or speak a strange dialect, or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based on reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. And yet, there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, and they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they yet live in a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors. But even then they rejoice as though, giving the gift, as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. To speak in general terms... We may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of the body while remaining distinct from it, so Christians are found in all cities of the world but cannot be identified with the world. As the visible body contains the invisible soul, so Christians are seen living in the world but their religious life remains unseen. The body hates the soul and wars against it, not because of any injury the soul has done it, but because of the restriction the soul places on its pleasures. Similarly, the world hates the Christians, not because they have done it any wrong, but because they are opposed to its enjoyments. Christians love those who hate them, just as the soul loves the body and all its members despite the body's hatred. It is by the soul enclosed within the body that the body is held together. And similarly, it is by the Christians detained in the world as in a prison that the world is held together. The soul, though immortal, has a mortal dwelling place. And Christians also live for a time amidst 
perishable things while awaiting the freedom from change and decay that will be theirs in heaven. As the soul benefits from the deprivation of food and drink, so Christians flourish under persecution. Such is the Christian's lofty and divinely appointed function from which he is not permitted to excuse himself. Well, that gives us a lot of food for thought. And to live a life like that, we're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. To fight our flesh that wars against our spirit. To fight our spiritual enemy. To fight the spirit of the world that Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And to fight and to stand up for the values and absolutes of the fundamentals of our faith that are under attack in the day in which we live. So the first thing that Paul says is, we need to fight for our faith. We need to fight the good fight of our faith. The second thing is that we have to fight for is our field. There's this great story in uh, the book of Samuel, and I, I, I'll just share a, a short passage. There's a story that, that gives an account of David's mighty men. David had a, a number of mighty men who fought with him and served with him uh, during his many battles and during his many wars. And in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8, there's a story about a man who fought to defend a field of lentils. How many here like lentils? So maybe you don't like lentils. Well, he obviously liked lentils, but more than lentils, it was his field. And the enemy were trying to take his field away from him. The enemy wants to take your field. He wants to take my field. He wants to take our field. And this story is a graphic illustration of that where the Philistines came against him and uh, as the story is being told it says that Shammah uh, and after him, this is the next of the mighty men, was Shammah the son of Agi the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. He fought to defend his field. Why? Because it was his field. And every one of us has a field. You may not have a physical field, but all of us has a field. The Bible talks about us all having a vineyard that we have to take care of. And Paul talks about his sphere, his sphere of influence. God has given everyone, a, every one of us a field or a sphere of influence. And I love what Paul says when he, he is talking about his sphere. He highlights three things that relate to his sphere of influence. Now, Every single person here has been given a God-given gift. And God places you in a sphere, whether it's in a, whether it's in a creative sphere, whether it's in business, whether it's in education, uh, whether it's in, in, in the medical field, 
whether it's in finance, God places us in a sphere. And all of us are given within that sphere a sphere of influence. And we have authority over what has been entrusted to us. And Paul talks about this, and he talks about how, first of all, he, he talks about how in 2 Corinthians 10, how all of us are involved in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare. He, he talks about uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4, um, he, he, he talks about, well, let me read this first scripture here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. He's saying, the New Living Translation this puts it this way, we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. God has given you a sphere of authority. And every one of us has a responsibility to develop that. The story of the parable of talents is a great example. God doesn't want us to bury our talent in that field. He wants us to develop our talents. So we've all of us been given a sphere of authority, and the enemy wants to take it from us. And in addressing this issue, Paul talks about three things. Firstly, he says, don't be ignorant of the fact we're involved in a spiritual warfare. Who wants to take your sphere away from you? Your spiritual enemy wants to take that sphere away from you. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 4, in the Phillips translation of the Bible, the truth is that although, of course, we lead normal lives, the battle we are fighting is on the spiritual level. The very weapons we use are not those of human warfare, but powerful in God's warfare for the destruction of the enemy's strongholds. And I think very often when we come against opposition and things are not working out the way that we want them to, we try to deal with a lot of those problems, as we should, with our own human wisdom and our own human understanding, but forgetting that behind that there's an enemy that's not happy about you taking steps forward in your business or in your workplace or in your sphere of authority that God has given to you. And Paul begins in that chapter, if you were to break down that chapter, there are three main areas. First of all, he says, I'm talking about my sphere of influence. But as I talk about it, number one, remember, number one, we have a spiritual enemy. And that the weapons of our warfare are not human, but they're spiritual the second thing he talks about is he has an authority. So we have a, a God-given authority for the sphere God places us in. And then he talks about the sphere of his authority, his field, his vineyard, what God has given to him. And we have to fight for the field that God has given to us. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you've had some resistance this week. Maybe you're facing opposition. Maybe things aren't working out the way you want them to. <laughs> Here we are, two and a bit years after the disruption of COVID and still things aren't back to normal uh, right the way around the world and in churches around the world and so on. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual. 
And we must always remember that we have a sphere that God has given to us that we need to fight for. Let's not become passive. Let's not just go with the flow. But let's take that authority that we have in Jesus' name. So firstly, we have to fight the good fight of faith. Secondly, we have to fight uh, for our field. And then thirdly, we have to fight for our frame of mind. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 10, we destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God and take every thought to be captive to Christ. The battle of the mind is where we win or lose the fight. <laughs> I was watching Rafa Nadal play yesterday at Wimbledon, and it was interesting because my brother lives about a stone's throw from Wimbledon, and so we were tossing up whether we could go at 4 o'clock. If you're ever going to England, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, people who are leaving hand in their tickets, and you can get tickets and go in, sometimes to center court. And Rafa Nadal was playing yesterday, and his opponent was kind of playing a few mental games with him. And you could tell that it was upsetting him. And he was two games away from winning the, winning the final set. But that you could tell that he, it was playing with his mind. Whether it's in sports. How many of you know in sports the, the, the mind is so incredibly powerful? Whether it's in sports, whether it's in any field... The mental, the, our, our mind is where the battle is won or lost. And I heard this uh, uh, just recently, uh, a friend of mine, Wayne Francis, I heard him saying this. I don't know whether it's his quote or not, but I'm sure he'll be taking credit for it. He said this, that our mindset is determined by where our mind is set. Our mindset is determined by where our mind is set. And we have to, we have a battle, all of us have a battle with our mind. It's a fight. And we have to fight to keep our mind under control. And Colossians 3 and verse 1, Paul says this, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. How important it is what we set our mind on. Our mindset is determined by where our mind is set. And my mind has a mind of its own. And I have to fight to keep it on track. I have to fight to keep it focused. I have to fight to keep it set on where I want to go. And so... The third thing we have to fight for is our frame of mind. And I think in, a, in an environment where we are being bombarded on all sides, from whether it's from the information overload that we all receive through our iPhones or our Androids or whatever, whatever it may be, through electronic media, through what we're listening to, what we're hearing all around us, we have to fight to keep our minds set on things above, not on earthly things. Fourthly, the fourth thing we have to fight for is our freedom. And the, the amazing thing about 
the day that we're celebrating tomorrow is that it was all about a fight for freedom. It was a fight for independence. And I love the fact that at the heart of that fight for independence, there was another fight that was taking place. And that was to a fight for a focus on dependence on God. And I was thinking about that last year as I stood on that field where the British surrendered to, the, to uh, George Washington's army. And I was thinking about how Benjamin Franklin spoke these words uh, about the struggle, the battle, the fight that took place. And he said, in the beginning of the context, contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had our daily prayer. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid. I believe without his concurring aid, we shall succeed no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded. I move that we pray. And I think anyone reading that with open eyes and open ears can sense the importance of that statement at the very beginning of this nation's history as an independent nation desiring to be dependent on God can also see that as a prophetic statement about the day in which we live in which he says I believe that without God's concurring aid we shall succeed no better than the builders of Babel who were the builders of Babel the one who's, ones who built Babel were confused by the many languages that were being spoken. We shall be divided by our partial local interests. If that is not a prophetic statement about the day in which we live today, our projects will be confounded. What is the answer to it? He says, I move that we pray. Because prayer is what unites us. Prayer is what brings us into a place of dependence on God and dependence on his sovereignty and so we have to fight to maintain our freedom our freedom to be able to worship God our freedom to be dependent upon God and our freedom knowing that God is the one who will give us true freedom in the true meaning of the word and then finally our worship team's already here we're going to I'm going to conclude the message the fifth thing is we have to fight for our future we have to fight for our future. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. He's pointing Timothy towards his future, eternity. We have to fight for our eternity, but we have to fight to leave this world a better place than we came into it. We have to fight for the future of our children. We have to fight for the future of our church. We have to fight for the future of the church, for the generations that are coming through. 
and the founding fathers fought for a future where we could live in a nation where there was an understanding that all men and all women were created equal. In a place where we understood that every one of us is endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights. And among those, the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They fought not just for their day, but they fought for a better future. Martin Luther King had a dream. And in that dream, he dreamt of a better future where his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He had a dream about a better future. We have a dream. And as we pause, as we conclude this, I want to leave this thought with you. We have a dream of a better future. A day when God's kingdom will come. And His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And where we can experience the power, the love, the grace, and the goodness of God as we build together a better future. And so I encourage you, God has a plan for your life. We all of us have a sphere to fight for. We all of us are fighting for a better future. And I encourage you as we come into this next season, let's believe God. Let's believe God that as we fight the good fight of faith, we'll be able to build a better day and a better future for the generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? As we close today, we're going to do one thing. We're going to take a moment. We're going to worship God for a couple more minutes. And then we're going to take communion together. And I want to encourage you as our team lead us in this song. Would you come forward? There's some communion cups there. Go back to your seat. I want to pray for you as we go, as we take communion together. And let's pray that in this moment, as we worship God together, God will put strength in our hearts. He will uplift our souls. And He will enable us to go out into our day and into this week full of faith and full of hope. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. Today as we come and we take communion together, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. You sent your son Jesus to die in our place. You gave everything. You fought the greatest battle that could ever have been fought to gain the victory over sin death, hell, and every form of destruction that could afflict our soul. And today as we eat and drink, I pray that you would give us strength for the fight that we are in today. Our faith, our field, our frame of mind, Lord, our freedom and our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Would you come forward and take the cup? And you can eat and drink in your own time. And we'll pray together after.